You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you. I'm going to be preaching in Romans this morning uh, in just a few moments about having uh, victory and having joy in stressful seasons. So I think it's good for us. It'll be good for us today. But uh, first of all, I, w- I just wanted to say that the eldership uh, couples went away this weekend for a bit of a retreat. It's a good time. Many of you sent notes and cards and texts and uh, gift bags and things like that and uh, said that you were praying for us. And I just want to say thank you so much. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, eldership team, husbands and wives, uh, that is in, in a bit of a transition. And uh, it's exciting things happening here at Westside. And uh, we, we invited a couple from Ohio, Dave and Kathy Swart. And uh, you guys can stand up here, embarrass you thoroughly. And um, <clears throat> as you guys know, uh, uh, Terry and I are on uh, the New Covenant Ministries International team. And this church is healthy enough to be able to send us out regularly to minister into churches. Last April, we were in their church. Uh, in uh, Columbus, Ohio, about two miles from the Ohio State. And um, uh, anyway, they planted a church there just over two years ago. They're doing very well. Uh, They just celebrated their uh, two-year anniversary. And this is part of what we do as as Westside, is we partner with churches around the country and around the world, with thousands and thousands of churches, actually, that are related to this team that Terry and I happen to be on. And so it's nice to have you guys here and to join us uh, on our eldership uh, retreat weekend getaway. And so you guys want to say something? Yeah, thank you. Um, love being here. We've heard a lot about Wayside over the years. We met Steve and Terry about 12 years ago when we lived in Chicago. And they came up to the church plant when it was about a year old over the, at that point. Um, and uh, so I guess what I want to say is thank you to you as a church for sending this couple out because... Twelve years ago, they started preaching to us about um, the Great Commission and, and just unpack the Great Commission. How within it, it means we need to continue to plant churches. And a seed just started dropping in our hearts about oh, one day we should do this. And then two years ago, we started our, uh, my wife and our four kids and her parents, the eight of us in our basement. We started and now, you know, two years later, there's over 100 people and um, we're just trusting that God is going to continue to help us to plant more churches and carry on what these guys put in our hearts, you know. So thank you very much. We love you guys already. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Um, if any of you guys have some free time on, uh, when is it that they could most help out at the uh, women's tea? Some heavy lifting and things like that. Just ask your gals, ask your ladies. And so ask at the back if you want to help out this weekend. Uh, looking forward to a great time. And uh, just, just a little side word uh, about the women's Christmas tea. We love to have fun here at Westside. There's nothing wrong with having fun. Uh, God... Wants us to, to be delight, delighted and joy-filled and uh, expressing his uh, goodness, his generosity, reflecting his light to the world. Uh, but there's always a purpose behind everything we do here at Westside. 
And everything we do here at Westside, we want to exalt the name of Jesus. First and foremost, lift his name up high. The Bible says that if uh, I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And that has a double connotation as he was uh, lifted up on the cross. But as we lift up his name, magnify his name, that will reflect him to the world. And so uh, this is an opportunity. So ladies, if you haven't got your tickets, guys, if you haven't given them permission yet, I encourage you to do that. And uh, make, make a way. You know, you're going to babysit. You're going to do the chores. You're going to do whatever it takes uh, to get them. And, and then every time we have a women's Christmas tea, every time we have a special event, uh, the gospel is presented. And so people hear the good news of Jesus. So it's a wonderful opportunity. I, I'm a believer in taking every opportunity we can uh, to engage our culture and to share the good news of Jesus. That's what Paul said when he said, I will do anything by any means, by every way to... Uh, be all things to all people, the King James says, uh, so that by some way uh, they'll hear about Jesus. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to compromise our values or do anything crazy, but we're going to do whatever we can to engage people in the culture. So uh, if you are newer to Westside, maybe this is even your first time, a very warm welcome to you. We appreciate you guys being here. And uh, we have a bit of a full house uh, this morning here, and thanks for uh, being friendly and putting your purses under a chair and sliding over and sitting next to a stranger. I hope you've introduced yourself to them or invited them to lunch afterwards already or so. Some of you came early so you can get to the parade afterwards. And uh, when Terry and I first came here 17 years ago, oh, you know what today is? Today is the 55th birthday when I said yes to Jesus. That's a long time ago. 1961. That was in the olden days, young people, and uh, yeah, almost everybody here is younger than that. <laughs> and uh, the whole world was in black and white. They hadn't invented color yet, and it was it was a, <laughs> it, was a it was a fun time. <laughs> uh, no, that's the year color came out on Bonanza. So it was, it was like the whole neighborhood sat around the color TV. Ooh, wow. And uh, anyway, uh, so. This, I love this season of the year. It does get a bit stressful. It does get a bit full. Uh, and sometimes, especially for Christians, uh, well, let me rephrase this. A lot of Christians have wonderful families they lo love to be around. And I would say that's most people here. Sometimes it's a bit stressful to be around family or extended family. And so I want to encourage you to be able to uh, reflect Jesus, reflect God's goodness during this time. And uh, make some great memories. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we get into this section of Romans. Remember that Romans is about the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And the gospel is always, always, always about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about Him. And so uh, Paul is actually introducing some new concepts here in chapter 5 of Romans as we go through this. Remember we started in September. We mapped it out all the way till Easter uh, the, the book of Romans that we're going through. But Paul's introducing over the next couple chapters some, some very interesting things. It's the, it's the two-sided reality of our Christian walk, our, our faith in Christ. And uh, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of things in our life that we have a two-sided view of. We love our kids. But they make us so mad sometimes, all right? Does that, does that ring true? <laughs> Or your spouse, or uh, 
How about, I hate exercise. I hate it, but I love the benefits that results uh, from that. And so, uh, in, in Jesus, on one hand, we are complete in Christ. We're complete, and He's finished the work. And on the other side, we are growing in Christ. So they're both true. They're just both realities that are true. And so we got to get that concept because we get in so much trouble, actually, in life when we uh, get on our high horse, get on our soapbox, and we start preaching what we think we know. And um, I might be preaching over here, fire can kill you. And somebody else is preaching over here, fire can save your life. Well, which one is true? They're both true. And sometimes we just have to have this truth in balance uh, perspective on life. And sometimes when we get so opinionated over here, we go, oh, now actually, if I look at it from this angle, there's, this is true too. And I just have to be happy with that. And so on, on one hand, uh, we are king's kids. We have status as royalty in Jesus. And on the other hand, we're slaves. We're bondservants of Jesus Christ. On one hand, we feel the presence of Jesus all the time. But at the same time, we feel the pressure of sin in our lives. So Paul is talking about this uh, in, in the next couple chapters, that we enjoy the peace with God. I just preached about that last week. If you missed last week, some of you were away for Thanksgiving. Welcome home. Uh, make sure you listen to that. That's the, the, the heart of Romans is we have been made uh, right with God. We have peace with God. And uh, at the same time, in, even though we have peace that surpasses all understanding, we have problems. In this world, you'll have tribulation, Jesus said. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So don't get discouraged. We need to learn how to depend on the power that is available to us, that comes from uh, Jesus when, uh, and by the power of His Holy Spirit. And so let's read what Paul says here in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We're reviewing verses 1 and 2 from last week, where Paul says, Therefore, since we have been, past tense, we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts this morning that we would have understanding as to what your word says. Holy Spirit, you said that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. And we trust you in that, Lord. Verse 2, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Woohoo! Problems. <laughs> Terry and I, our old pastor, Jesse, some of you met him, passed away a few years ago, but he, he used to say when we were young elders, he said, I love problems. And we go, oh Lord, what's happening now? <laughs> he goes, I love problems because it's a chance for God to come through and take us through this difficulty, and take us through this storm triumphantly. So Paul says, For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, 
because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. I want to tell you today that trouble has gotten a bad rap. It has. Now, we don't rejoice because of the pain. We're not delighted because things are going bad. But we do know that God will use life's difficulties. And he, he will use uh, Satan's attacks to build our character. To make us stronger in him. And Paul talks about perseverance in these uh, verses. And he says that pers- perseverance uh, strengthens our character. And it deepens our trust in God. And it uh, gives us greater confidence about the future. Because once you've been through one difficulty victoriously, then you know you can face other uh, difficulties, even to a greater extent, because you know what God has done in the past, and you know that He's faithful, He'll do it again. And that, that just develops our, our confidence uh, and, uh, as we look forward. So it's likely that our patience will be tested in some way every day. Let me say that again too. It's likely that our patience will be tested in some way every day. That's good for you. Those kind of things are good for you. It develops uh, your character. So um, we can rejoice during these times by thanking God. And, and we know that these uh, opportunities are opportunities for us to grow as we face these things and the strength that He gives us. So it's rich, rich verses in Romans here. I want to talk to us this morning uh, for the next 15, 20 minutes or so about the section in here where Paul says we can rejoice when things don't go well. And I'm going to apply it to the season that we're about to head into, this uh, Christmas season that we as a culture celebrate and as believers we worship God because He came not to stay a baby. We know that. He came as a baby. We don't worship the baby Jesus just because He's a baby. The reason everybody loves a baby is because they haven't ticked anybody off yet. All right? But Jesus, when He got older, He fed a lot of people, particularly religious people, and they had a more difficult time with that. But we as believers know that Jesus came for one reason, and that was to die for us to die for our sin. And so I just want to address that. In reality, we're going to face a stressful season. It could be stressful. Some of you may have got it all dialed in. Your Christmas shopping was done in August, and your tree was up in October, and everything's all raring to go. And, and, but anyway, it can be stressful, particularly with co-workers or classmates or, or family. And so I want to talk today about keeping our joy in a stressful season. Keeping our joy. Now, joy is not happiness. Happiness is temporary and fleeting and depending on circumstances. But joy is deep-seated. It's rooted. It's grounded. You know that in the raging storm, you can still have this joy that only God gives, and it lasts. So how do we, how do, we do this? Number one, we keep our priorities in order. Keeping our priorities in order. How do we do this? There's several ways. Uh, the first one here is we put God at His agenda first. Matthew 6, 33. 
Out of the New Living Translation, it says this, He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. On February 2nd, 1974, when Terry and I got married, we chose that as our life verse out of the King James. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you're making a list of your priorities in life, you can make that list however you want. But if you're a believer, Jesus says, number one is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, what, uh, what you're going to wear, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, where you're going to work, all these other things will be added unto you. But put him first. Put his agenda first. Put his kingdom first. And, and I want to encourage you, here's the practical way to do that. When you get your calendar out, whether it's handwritten or electronic, when you get your calendar out, ask for God's input when you make your schedule. Help, uh, ask Him for help to prioritize your commitments. Young people, I want to talk to you just for a second. Wait till I'm done before you get upset with me. Because I'm going <laughs> to challenge your generation. Not necessarily you, but I'm going to challenge your generation um, God's agenda in His kingdom involves doing, not just saying. Uh, a lot of times we tend to, and even older folks do this, we tend to judge others uh, who aren't doing things well, uh, and we're not doing anything either, like armchair quarterbacks. Uh, someone once said this, our generation is prone to radicalism without follow-through. We want to change the world but we've never even changed a diaper. <laughs> now, I would say, in general, that's true for the generation out there. But for young people who love Jesus and who want to grow in Him, you can change the world by the strength that He provides, and you can actually roll up your sleeves and get out there and do the job of loving the unlovable, taking care of the downtrodden, and doing what you can. Do something. Uh, to serve Jesus and represent Him in this world. Number two uh, here, choose your battles wisely. Choose your battles wisely. You know, you only got so much in you to fight. And you can't fight everything. You cannot fight every battle out there. And some battles, even though you go, ah, somebody should fight that battle, I'm not going to fight that battle because I only have so much in me. I only have so many battles that God's called me to fight. And God has not called any one of you to do His job of being Savior for the world. Oh, there's only one Messiah, and you're not it. And so ask God what battles you should fight. <laughs> so fight for the important things. Family, friends. Fight the spiritual warfare battle for your children for your family, for your extended family, for your friends, for your co-workers. That is of eternal value. Don't fight for things like which side should the toilet paper roll hang, inside or outside. Now, I know some of you have highly uh, uh, emotionalized values regarding that. And I just want to tell you that I showed Terry about two years ago, I got the U.S. patent for the toilet paper roll from the 1860s and in the diagram of the patent in the U.S. Patent Office at the Smithsonian Institute, the toilet paper goes on the outside, all right? That's how it was invented, all right? 
So fight for things that are important. <laughs> General Patton said this. He said, don't fight a battle if you don't gain anything by winning. Why on earth fight a battle if there's nothing gained from it? Someone else once said, some other guy said, one of the devil's most destructive devices is to get us off track by diluting our focus, dissipating our strength, distracting us, and causing us to spend our time and energy on that which God never intended us to do. Use the energy that God gave you, the time that He gave you, to do what He's called you to do. You could just ask yourself this question. Is what I do helping to fulfill the Great Commission? Now, you're not responsible for all the Great Commission, but we all have a part in that. Maybe your part is to love somebody. Maybe your part is to uh, invite them to church. Maybe your part is to teach a Sunday school class. Maybe your part is to go visit uh, the, the infirm. Maybe your part is to go on a missions trip to Mexico this summer. Maybe your part is, to, is, is any number of things. Take a meal to a new neighbor. I want to encourage you that your neighborhood is a mission field. The mission field is not in here. It's out there. And this is why we get trained for out there. Jesus said in Matthew 28, so over here as well, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups, all the ethnos, is the Greek word, all ethnicities, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, we have water baptism out here after second service. If you are a believer and you have not been water baptized of your own choice since you've become a believer, the first thing that we're actually instructed to do is to go make the public declaration of a heart commitment. We can't see your heart. God can, sure. That's what saves you. Baptizing doesn't save you. But it's a declaration to the world that I'm a Christ follower. And there's no turning back. So if you haven't done that, go check in at the back after this and sign up and you'll get some information uh, about that. You know why? Because we are all, we are all on a lifelong mission trip. Everything you do as a believer is a mission trip. And it's not your mission, it's his mission. We are on his co-mission. We're on mission with him to tell the world the good news of Jesus Christ. The third one here is use your time wisely. Peter says in chapter 4, he says, The end of the world is coming soon. So this is Peter later on in the first century. He's an old guy by then. When he was with Jesus, he's probably in his mid-twenties, maybe late-twenties. And he was one of the older of the disciples. But this is later on. Peter's a well-loved church father, and he's writing uh, the first of his two uh, epistles here. And he says, the end of the world is coming soon. So you know when you see the guy on movies holding in the long robe, you know, holding up the sign, the end is near, all right? That's Peter. That's what he's doing right here. This is Peter. He says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. And so 
since Jesus is coming back soon, and he's coming back sooner than he was yesterday, uh, ask him what you should be doing, because the time is short. A British um, evangelist, Henry Farley, said this, Varley said this, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a person who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. You know what he's saying here? He says the world's never seen that person yet. Maybe that person is you. Maybe that person is the child you're raising. But I'll tell you what, it's going to take an army of people who are holy and totally consecrated to him to see God work in them and through them and for them through to this world. Uh, and number two, here, big point number two. This is encouraging us to keep our joy in a stressful season. First is keeping our priorities in order, and second is uh, bring your family closer together. The Bible says that God sets the lonely in families. If you're single here today, you have a family waiting. How many people in this room right now would love to have a single person come in and be part of their small group that they're in uh, and engage them and, and bring them into a close family-type relationship? Just raise your hand, all you, all you guys. Who would, if you're part of a small group, not a leader, but anybody in a small group, you'd like that people to come. Here's all kinds of people who would love that. We've got over 300 people in this church that are in small groups. They're families. So families come in all shapes and sizes. There's traditional families, there's blended families, there's single-parent families, there's lots of families come in many shapes and sizes. God puts you in a family for a reason. This is an opportunity for us to bring families closer together. A family is a microcosm of the church. Families should be healthy and strong and whole and stable. I'll tell you what, that'll never happen without Jesus. This is an opportunity for believers to represent Jesus well in their, fa- in their family. Stephen Covey, the author, said that no one on their deathbed wishes that they spent more time at the office. In uh, 2002, my dad passed away. He had been my foster dad for decades and decades. And so my mom and dad had five kids of their own. And my two sisters and me, that made eight kids. And all of us were there. And almost all the spouses were there. And a whole bunch of grandkids and great-grandkids were there. I think we had 38 or 39 people in the hospital room. And uh, my sister started singing some of my dad's uh, favorite hymns. And he couldn't open his eyes. He couldn't talk. And he, had, he actually had, at that point, about six hours to live. And uh, the family was there, and it was a big deal. My dad's uh, last concerns a couple days earlier when he could still speak were that he, was, he wasn't concerned about rooms that he had remodeled or churches that he had served at. He was concerned about a couple of my sisters hadn't been talking to each other for a few years. That was his concern. That's what people are concerned about on their deathbed. Relationships, family, not work. 
and those two sisters reconciled with him before, while he still was aware. That was great. It's good. I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Now everybody celebrates it differently. Some people have one present each. Some people have a million presents each. Some people give their present to somebody else. It's fine. That's family traditions. Do what you feel God wants you to do. But how about um, doing this this year? Read the Christmas story with your family. And the Christmas story is not "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. <laughs> not a creature was stirring. Um, I, we read that to our kids when it was fun, but they knew that wasn't the Christmas story. That wasn't the real one. That was just a fun story. They knew the story was Jesus came, Almighty God, as a human being, so that he could die for us. Soon as they could understand that, they knew that. And you can do the fun stuff and everything, but just be careful. Be careful that you're not making such a fabrication that they're still 13 and believe in Santa Claus and realize that you've been lying to them all their life. And then the next question, obviously, is have you been lying to me about Jesus too? Just be, be on your guard. Use wisdom there. Uh, but have fun. Have family tradition. There's nothing wrong with that. Just keep Jesus first. How about reading a bit of the Bible every day? I remember my grandparents, my dad's parents, they had this little plastic cheap loaf of bread on their table, and in it were about 50, 50 or 60 or maybe 150 promises. And it was set on the side, bread of life, and every meal that they got together, they would pull it out and read one of God's promises. Now, they read more than that, but as kids, we could understand a verse and a promise as they explained it. Uh, how about this one? This is a radical idea in 2016, the 21st millennium, or century, uh, the new millennium that we're actually living in. How about this? How about eat together as a family? That's a radical concept, isn't it? Did you know that less than 10% of families in America eat dinner together every day? Less than 10%. It's amazing. It's a time to share your day, to share your victories, to share your defeats, to pray together. Uh, why not shut down, have a tech break uh, for dinner? Uh, when our kids were with us this summer, we're out on our deck. Our, our, our daughter's family, they were with us for a couple weeks with their kids. And then right after our son's family, we're here with our kids. And we're, you know, we're sort of used to empty nests now, and it's kind of nice. And, uh, and uh, we miss our kids, of course. And on the last night, our son did what they do every day with their kids, is they say, okay, what was the best part of your day? Okay, what was the worst part of your day? You know, we share together. And, and so... Uh, my son goes to me, Grandpa, he goes, what was the worst part of your day? And I said, well, the worst part of the day is you guys are going home tomorrow. And he said, well, what was the best part of your day? And I said, you guys are going home tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but getting uh, around a table and eating together does amazing things. How about opening up your home and eating with somebody else that you invite over? 
I'll tell you what, a hi and bye, nice to see you today at the door of the church. You could do that for two years and not know somebody as deeply as having one meal in your home together. That will accelerate exponentially relationship building. And we know we need strong, healthy relationships in the church. Deuteronomy 26.11 says, Afterward, go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living among you in celebration. So do what you can. You can't do everything, but do what you can. And you can't make them respond, but you can do what you can. And that's what we're instructed to do. Number three, restore a broken relationship. Ephesians 4.31 and 32 And the New International Version says this. I encourage you to memorize this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Notice it doesn't say, think about getting rid of these things. It doesn't say, negotiate this rage and anger, brawling and slander. It says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Stop it. (laughs) Just stop it. I think you can go to a psychiatrist for a long time, and they'll try to figure out why we are. I've already told my wife, I said, you know, forget trying to figure me out. I could spend 100 years on a psychiatrist's couch, and I couldn't do it. So I'm just going to get on with it. And I'm going to love Jesus. And I'll let him sort it out. Um, The reason we forgive others is because God forgave us. We said, God, will you please forgive my sin? He goes, yes. Really? All of it? Even the, yes. Even the, in the future? Yes. But, oh, I can't forgive you. You didn't invite me to that party. So I'm going to hold it against you. You looked at that guy in seventh grade. (laughs) Just crazy. Now there's some legitimate hurts out there. We're still instructed to forgive. It's not worth it. The one who withholds forgiveness becomes the prisoner, actually. Just read Matthew 18. Um... I think this season is a great opportunity to do that because we're going to be in contact with people we may not have seen in a long time. Number four, finishing out here, is don't forget to give God your best gift. When I was a kid, I always wondered this. It's Jesus' birthday. Why are we giving each other presents? Did you ever wonder that? Do your kids ever ask you that? Maybe, no, I want my presents. So there's nothing wrong with giving, receiving. There's nothing wrong with, this, as the song said, extravagant. God was extravagant in lavishing His love upon us and generosity. He gave His Son. None of us have done that to die for us. But I encourage you to give God your best gift. What's that? Well, let it be something personal. Uh, it might even be something that somebody else doesn't know about, may or may not know about. I encourage you to let it be sacrificial, whatever it is. Second Samuel twenty four twenty four. this is King David. He says, No, I insist on paying you for it, for I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God offerings that cost me nothing. So here David was. He had sinned, just a little 
behind the scenes here. He had sinned, he had repented, and now he wanted to offer a sacrifice to God to show his repentance. And so he's walking by with his guys, his army, and he sees this hill, and he goes, I'm going to go sacrifice up there. Find out who's land, who owns that land, and I'm going to buy that land from him. So they go to the farmer, they go, uh, King David wants to buy that land so he can offer a sacrifice. The guy goes, no, if the king wants it, he can have it. I give it to him, it's his. And they sent the word back to David, and David goes, no, we're going to pay for it. I'm not going to give an offering that didn't cost me anything. How would that be a sacrifice? So whatever it is, it should be sacrificial. So here's a few ideas. Maybe you can come up with your own. I ask you not to leave today until you find out what God wants you to give Him this Christmas season. Maybe your gift will be to commit to spending time with Him every day. Maybe you used to do that and you've kind of gotten busy. Maybe your gift is to commit to spend time with Him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge the church in 2017 to read through with me, and I've got about five guys already that are going to do this with me. And Terry's doing it with me so far. So I've got a lot more work to do. <laughs> but I want to I challenge you to read through the entire Bible in 2017. Do you have to do it? No. But I think most of you could do it. It's averaging, it averages about three chapters of Bible a day to get through the Bible. Now, I don't think you should always do that, because sometimes we want to get in and study verse by verse, word by word. That's good. But I encourage you as believers, every few years, get the sweeping overview of the Bible. Get the big picture, because it starts with Jesus and ends with Jesus. And we want to see that all through. So uh, I'm going to be reading the Chronological Bible, the New Living Translation. Uh, a couple guys, we have been doing it since October already, so we're kind of coming up to the end of the year. But what it is, is it's the whole Bible chronologically. So they insert the prophecies and the, and the letters in the New Testament in the actual history where it took place. It's very interesting. Uh, but you, you're done with the whole Bible. So starting on Jan, January 1, in a, in a couple, uh, starting next week, we'll have some Bibles in the back if you want to buy one. Uh, they're just a few dollars, and you can get the New Living Translation Chronological Bible, or you can get it on Kindle uh, or any number of ways that way. Uh, but I encourage you to do that. So that was a little side thing. But I encourage you to spend time with God every day. Give Him your best uh, time. Or maybe um, your best gift to God could be something that God asked you to give up. And you finally say, okay, this, this is it. Maybe it's that New Year's resolution you made last year that you didn't do. This could be the real time that you do it. Maybe your gift to God could be to start trusting Him with your finances. Sowing your first fruits to the storehouse. Now you know that we teach here at Westside that you're not under any law. You're under, living under grace. Nobody's going to come and visit you at your home and check your, your tax returns and, and ask you why you didn't tithe 10%. Or, nobody's ever going to do that here. But as your pastor, I could say this and look you in the eye and say this, that if you trust God with your finances and you give him your first fruits, he will bless you beyond what you're able. And there's many, many testimonies here. It's not legalism. It's just the truth that you reap what you sow. Maybe you haven't trusted God fully in that. I encourage you to trust him uh, with that. Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, talking about finances, it's the only place in the Bible where God says, try me. Test me. 
Prove me. And see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing that you can't contain. Try it. Maybe your best gift to God this year is to forgive somebody you've needed to forgive for a long time. You might actually discover that you're giving yourself a gift back when you do that. There's a lady uh, who lived during World War II and her family was hiding Jews that were fleeing from uh, Nazi Germany and she and her family were arrested eventually by the Germans and put in concentration camp. Her name is Corey Timboom. She's got a great story. And she said this after surviving the extreme brutality of those uh, German concentration camps that the Nazis uh, had created. She said this, forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was you. You might say, God, they don't deserve forgiveness. He won't, but he might or could say, well, neither did you, but I forgave you. Everything. So you in turn forgive others. There's a release that will take place. I honestly believe that sometimes physical ailments are connected to unforgiveness. Stress and actual physical bodily ailments are connected to uh, unforgiveness. I know a lady, she's a friend. She was in a class of mine. I was teaching about it once years ago and she called her friend after the class, or her sister, I'm sorry, and she hadn't spoken to her sister in 10 years. And they both cried and forgave each other. Long story short, they forgave each other. They agreed to meet. So the next day she called me and she said, you know what? I woke up this morning completely free of back pain. I said, how long did you have it? And she goes, 10 years. The time that she and her sister had been at odds. And, she, and I checked with her uh, a couple years later. She was still free. And I saw her uh, about a year and a half ago. And... She said, I'm still pain-free in my back. There's no, no problem in my back. God healed me when I forgave my sister. Maybe that could be your most important gift this season. Don't forget the reason for the season. And if you drive by my house, you're going to see a big four-foot by eight-foot neighborhood postcard that's lit up with three spotlights that says Jesus is the reason for the season. Out of Luke chapter 2, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's the reason for this busy season. How on earth can we share that with friends if we are frazzled and stressed out? Don't forget, that's the reason that we're here, is to share the good news of Jesus in our sphere of influence. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful promise that we get inexplicable joy 
We receive joy because we know that you will be with us through troubles. You didn't say that you'd deliver us from trouble, troubles, but you said you'd be with us through the storm. And we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As the band gets ready, in just a moment, we're going to stand up and sing a response song. I want to encourage you today to respond to what God has said to you. I would encourage you to even uh, text it or tweet it to a friend or tell your spouse or your kids or your uh, home group leaders or somebody what, what your gift is to God this year so that you have a little bit of accountability. I, I encourage you before you leave this room to say, God, what is my best gift for you? And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never asked him to be Lord of your life, to forgive your sin to come in, make you a new creation like he promised, give you peace with God, a right standing with Almighty God. You can do that right where you're seated. Maybe you've never taken communion before. Communion is for people who have said yes to Jesus. You don't have to be a member of this church to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but you do need to be a believer, and you can be right now where you're seated. There's no magic potion or formula or there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible, God is interested in your heart. And if you turn your heart, which is the center of everything uh, uh, of which you are, and it's, it's also an indicator of our position. God wants our heart positioned toward Him, not toward the world and not to our own way. But if you say yes to Jesus this morning, actually you'll become a new creation. You'll become part of God's family. He'll forgive your sin, restore you, renew you, refresh you. It's wonderful. And so when Jesus was crucified the night before, he sat around with the disciples at a table. They probably weren't sitting other than on the floor. The tables usually were about 18 inches high those days. And uh, they were celebrating the Passover supper. And they weren't all sitting on one side, like in the painting. Like, why are they all sitting on one side of the table? So they were sitting around the table. They were friends. Jesus grabbed some bread. They were selling Passover so he could break it. It was brittle. He could break it. And he said, this is my body. Tomorrow, my body is going to be broken just like this. And this cup, this is like my blood that's going to be uh, spilled tomorrow for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, when I'm gone, will you take some bread occasionally, and will you take a cup, and will you drink it, and will you remember what I'm doing for you? Will you remember me? When, when the King James says, this do in remembrance of me, Jesus really didn't talk. He talked in normal language. He goes, will you guys remember me? Will you remember me? And here 2,000 years later, when we celebrate communion, which is just symbolic of what Jesus did that night, we're remembering what Jesus did. I encourage you as believers to remember him as often as you will. As often as you will, remember what he did for us. And also our offering baskets are at, at each of the tables. And our offering baskets are not connected to the communion. You don't have to put something in the offering to take communion. The offering baskets are there because we believe it's part of our worship. And the New Testament says, do as you've purposed in your heart before God. Whatever you promise God, follow through with that. Follow through with that and do that.